The anxious parent. Most families have one. Some families have two. But what important role does a non-anxious parent play? How do worry and control often dictate parenting dynamics that put stress on a relationship? How can you tell if anxiety is truly in charge of your household? And what can you do about it? Welcome to Fluster Clucks with Lynn Lyons, where we talk about worry and other big feelings in parenting. I'm your co-host, Robin. I'm Lynn's sister-in-law, and I'm here to ask your questions. And I'm Lynn Lyons. I'm an anxiety expert, speaker, mom, and author, and I've been a therapist for over 30 years. Parenting can be a Fluster Clucks, and I'm here to help you find your way. So, Robin, one of the interesting things that happens with families, and, you know, it sort of reminds me of what was going on with COVID, because how many questions did we get about what if one parent has one opinion about COVID precautions and another parent has another opinion? Right. Or one parent thinks the sky is falling. Right. And the other one doesn't show that kind of energy. Right. One of the things I think is really helpful to talk about is what is the role of the parent that's not anxious? Because this comes up a lot in families, and I actually have several things to say about it. Can we go over some ground rules for this conversation? Because I already have questions for you. Okay, go ahead. Okay, when you say when one parent's not anxious, let's just unpack what you mean by that statement. Because worry is inevitable. You're not saying if one parent never worries because you know that that's not possible. So define what you mean. So I'm looking at the non-anxious parent as the parent who, you know, if we look at it clinically, doesn't have a diagnosable anxiety disorder. And I always use the term diagnosable because that doesn't mean that you're diagnosed. It means that you could be, right? So that anxiety isn't your thing. It doesn't mean that the non-anxious parent never worries or never feels anxious but it means that the non-anxious parent doesn't parent with anxiety as their parenting coach, come in and influence the decisions and all the things that we've been talking about in all of these episodes in terms of how do you allow your kid to step into things, whether or not, you know, we talked about helicopter parenting. The non-anxious parent doesn't parent from a place of anxiety and worry and fear. Or recognizes the worry and sort of adjusts because they sort of get it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And then one more question then. So it could also be if two parents, neither of them have a a diagnosable anxiety disorder, but maybe one of them just has more of a a worry pattern that is noticeable. So there's one who's going to choose to be, I'm the chill one if you're going to be the worrier. Right. And that's kind of the dynamic I'm talking about, which I do see a lot, is that one parent is identified as the anxious parent and the other parent is identified as the chill parent. Kids really recognize this. So when I ask in a family session, if I say, which parent is the worrier, they know. Sometimes in a family session, the parent who thinks that they're the chill parent sadly discovers that they are the, <laughs> that they are the anxious parent. That's always a moment of reckoning. But what I want to really talk about is that what happens to that parent that really is more chill, if we say that, but that isn't reactive, that doesn't deal with things in an anxious way, what happens to that parent in the dynamic of a family when you've got an anxious parent that sort of is stepping in? And maybe we're seeing the anxiety show up in kids too. That's what I want to talk about. Because that non-anxious parent has a really important role to play. And what often happens is that that non-anxious parent 
is really kind of put aside and oftentimes is denigrated, oftentimes is seen as not caring enough, oftentimes is dismissed. What we want to think about is what is the role that that non-anxious parent has to play? Now, say you're listening to this as a parent who is more anxious, and perhaps you are recognizing that your partner is less anxious than you, you really need to pay attention to this. I would think that, and this is what you'll also talk about, there's a huge impact on the relationship because of these anxiety patterns that we go into right. and are probably very stressful to the relationship. Right. The anxious parent tends to view themselves as more concerned, more caring, more vigilant, and the non-anxious parent gets accused of being lackadaisical, careless, negligent, negligent, right, all of those things. And what often happens in the relationship is that they both stake out their positions in a way in which they become even more firmly entrenched in their patterns. So the anxious parent, in response to the negligence of the non-anxious parent, becomes more untrusting of the non-anxious parent, denigrates them more, devalues their decisions more, and oftentimes takes over things like, for example, school meetings, which I'll talk about in a minute. And then the non-anxious parent, they can't compete. They cannot stand up to the energy of the anxiety, and so they check out. And sometimes they become more daring. They start doing things to prove to the anxious parent that their child doesn't need that much supervision. And so they start pushing their kid a little bit more, not in a dangerous way, but it becomes a huge source of conflict. So what might happen, for example, is say the anxious parent is going to go away on a business trip or go away to visit family or whatever. They all are like, all right, what can we do? Just for the sake of simplicity, I'll just say that the anxious parent is the mom and the non-anxious parent is the dad, though I see it reversed all the time. So that anxious mom goes away and then the non-anxious dad says, all right, what can we do? And they all plan for what they're going to do now that anxiety is out of the house. And then the anxious parent comes back and is furious that the non-anxious parent was so negligent, so ridiculous in their decision-making it can become a huge source of conflict in a relationship. Wow. Mm -hmm. As you're saying all this, it's echoing the whole aspect of resentment. Mm -hmm. The resentment episode we talked about, the resentment and romance. I mean, that really ultimately was about when one anxious parent dominates, like it's my way or the highway, how the mm -hmm. dishwasher's loaded, how the kids are fed, how they get dressed and go to school. It's not allowing the space for each parent to just do things the way they do them right. so that it's shared. Right. Of course, what you're saying just shows that anxiety plays such a role in this relationship dynamic. Mm -hmm. Anything that's going to be creating resentment and moving away from bliss is just not a good thing. I mean, like, right. bliss is the goal. We don't always get there all the time, but it's always the goal. This is complicated stuff. People should really reflect on it. You know, one of the things that's so important is that if you recognize yourself as the anxious parent and you can own that, and we talk so much about parents changing their behavior and recognizing their own patterns and that that's part of growing and becoming a better human being all the time. We're always doing that is that that is a really powerfully bonding thing that you can do to help your relationship. 
because it's the denial and it's the dismissal and it's the devaluing that really causes this resentment. When the non-anxious parent steps in and says, you know, I think that she can walk to the, uh, the bus stop by herself, or I think it's okay if we leave her alone for a half an hour. I think it's okay if we give her this privilege or if we allow him to do this thing. The anxious parent often comes back, and it's all based on fear, of course, often comes back with anger and vitriol, like, how dare you? If something ever happened to her, how could you live with yourself? And that's all that fear of the anxious parent trying to control and make sure that nothing bad ever happens. But if the anxious parent says, you know what, this is so hard for me, this makes me so anxious because, of course, I go catastrophic in my thinking and I'm really just having a difficult time sort of lengthening the leash here, and you put it out there so your partner can say, yeah, I get it. What can I do to help? Or let's talk about this. That can become a really connecting experience. Owning your own stuff is such a helpful thing to do in your relationship. And I mentioned too that I see this interestingly both in therapy and in school meetings is that oftentimes, and this is what you have to pay attention to, if you tend to be the anxious parent and if you tend to sort of dismiss or devalue the careless parent, I'm making air quotes with careless, Oftentimes, that parent isn't included in school meetings and isn't included even in therapy. I ask schools about this all the time. If you're going in, for example, to a 504 meeting or an IEP meeting, and the, one of the issues is anxiety, the anxious parent doesn't want the non-anxious parent to come in and say, I think my child can handle more. Doesn't want the non-anxious parent to come in and say, I don't know if all of these accommodations are really helpful. The anxious parent does not want that viewpoint expressed by the other parent, and it often happens in therapy too. Not to derail the conversation, but we've mentioned you haven't seen Parenthood with Steve Martin in a long time. I've seen it a few times, but not in a long time. Despite the fact that the film is older, I think that it's actually got a very contemporary message around anxiety and families. Steve Martin is this anxious parent. He was an anxious kid. He's dealing with seeing anxiety really develop and take hold of his son. So they go mm -hmm. to that meeting with the principal and the principal's like, uh, your son, Kevin, has issues around anxiety. And then you just see Steve Martin stand up and point to his wife, Mary Steenbergen. Yeah. She smoked grass. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I think that's a, a great story. And it also just reminds me to say out loud to everybody who's listening, if you're the anxious parent, I'm not pointing the finger at you. I'm saying it's so important for you to recognize these patterns, which are so, so common and so, so changeable. Yeah. And I think also what you're saying, though, is that patterns that result from an anxious and a non-anxious parent, there's still a 50-50 ownership. Obviously, mm -hmm. the anxiety is directing it in a somewhat predictable way for you, but how each parent still steps in, they both have to take responsibility of so that they need to solve this together. So say I realize that the non-anxious parent isn't coming to our meetings and I say, hey, why isn't mom or dad showing up? That parent will often say, well, you know what? It really, it's not my problem or it's really better if they come to the meetings without me. And I am not going to allow that to happen. And I will say to families, 
the voice of the person who's less anxious or the voice of the person who sees the world through a different perspective is an incredibly valuable voice. We need to listen to it and we need to hear it. And you need to start speaking up. So a lot of times the non-anxious parent starts to avoid these meetings because they're just like, oh, I'll just let that other, I'll just let the other parent handle it. Mm-hmm. I was doing a training a, a while ago. It was for couples, actually. I haven't done one of these for a while. It was a parent training. And so people could come by themselves, but a lot of people came as a couple. So I started off my section on the non-anxious parent. So I said, okay, so right now, let me talk to the non-anxious parent here. And I saw, <laughs> I saw this woman. She sort of crossed her arms over her chest and was sort of puffing up, you know, like she was getting ready, like, yeah, he's going to get it now. And then I said, you non-anxious parents need to step in and you anxious parents better listen to this voice. And she said to me at the break, she goes, oh, God, I was so sure you were about to really let him have it for not being anxious enough and not being caring enough. <laughs> I said, oh, well, yeah, yeah. I said, oh, sorry, that didn't that didn't happen. And I thought, what did she think she was coming to? But it was really funny. I could see her sort of sitting up in her chair like, all right, now is when he's going to get his, right? I just totally said the opposite. You definitely hear the expression, oh, he does enough worrying for the both of us, so I don't worry. That's like a common marital comment. Yeah. As you say that, that's exactly true. It's really so important for kids to hear also or to see also. It's okay for you to say to your kids, you know what? I tend to worry and mom doesn't worry as much. And it's really important that we recognize that she can be in charge of this or whatever. Remember that parental control is one of the fast tracks into anxious children, and there are a lot of reasons why parents control, but when we look at anxiety and we look at parental control and we look at this transmission from anxiety from parent to child, that's the dynamic that gets set up. I'm the anxious one, so I need to be in control. How are those New Year's resolutions going? Well, many are destined to fail. But lucky for you, here's one easy resolution idea that we gave you that we can all make, and it will make your life easier. It'll be kinder to our planet, and it will transform the way you do laundry in 2024. And that is switching to EarthBreeze. EarthBreeze looks like dryer sheets, but it's ultra-concentrated laundry detergent, and it couldn't be easier. You just throw a sheet in with your laundry in any temperature, and you watch it dissolve in any wash cycle, hot or cold. There's no measuring, there's no mess, there's no fuss, there's no wasteful plastic jug. EarthBreeze fights everyday stains and odors, giving you an amazing clean every time. The best part is you'll never run out again thanks to EarthBreeze flexible subscription that you can adjust, pause, or cancel at any time with no hidden fees or penalties. And you'll save a whopping 40% when you subscribe. Shipping's always free, and it comes in a slim cardboard envelope that saves a ton of space. So switching to EarthBreeze won't only make laundry day easier for you, but it will also be easier on the planet. So help me make plastic jugs a thing of the past. And if EarthBreeze doesn't end up being the 2024 update of your dreams, you don't even have to return it. Just let them know it's not for you and you'll get a full refund, no questions asked. Get started with EarthBreeze and save 40%. Go to earthbreeze.com slash flusterclucks. That's earthbreeze.com slash flusterclucks for 40% off your subscription. This message is sponsored by Greenlight. So when you're a parent, you're going to have your fair share of big talks with your kids, right? About all sorts of big topics. One of those big talks should involve money. 
And Greenlight can help with that. Greenlight is a debit card and a money app that's made for families. It allows you to do instant money transfers. You can get real-time notifications of spending. You can manage chores. You can automate allowance. I know with my kids, we really wanted to help them see the cause and effect, right? If you spend money now, you're not going to have it later. If you earn money now and you save it, maybe you can put it towards some big purchase that you're looking forward to. This is called financial literacy, and it allows kids to build independence, to learn how money works, to make them better savers, better spenders. The Greenlight app also comes with an in-app financial literacy game. It's called Level Up, so that kids can build money confidence through videos, bite-sized challenges, mini games, and more. More than 6 million parents and kids use Greenlight to learn how to make responsible financial choices. So stop putting off the money talk and start putting your kids on the right path. Sign up for Greenlight today and get your first month free at greenlight.com slash fluster. That's greenlight.com slash fluster to try Greenlight for free. Greenlight.com slash fluster. A lot of times one person in the couple will say, one parent will say, it's just easier if we let her handle it. She's going to get everything done. She's going to take care of all the details. So I'm just going to step back and let her handle it. But that's that parental control that comes in. And then, of course, it's marital control too, right? So here comes the resentment. Right. What are your key suggestions for shifting out of this pattern that is several years in the making for families? If you are listening to this and you think maybe this is your dynamic, you should ask your partner, and say, do you think that my anxiety dictates what we do as a family? And they will either be like, mm, maybe, or <laughs> they like, yes, right? Maybe they've had this fight over and over and over again. If you've had this fight over and over and over again, you should say to your partner, I am really working on recognizing how my anxiety shows up and takes over. And I feel like I need to work really hard in giving you a voice in this that is going to shift things pretty dramatically. Then you've got to follow through with it. And it's also okay to have a family meeting with your kids. You know, if they're old enough, you're not going to sit there with an 18-month-old. But if they're old enough to be able to say, you know, we've got different patterns in this family. And we're going to really work on making sure that everybody's style and everybody's voice is heard. And we're not going to let anxiety be in charge. Kids know this. I tell you, when I ask kids about this, they recognize it. I always believe that if you're trying to reform, if you're trying to revise, you're trying to change something that isn't easy. Mm -hmm. It's really important to establish what common goals are. And I think that a way that a couple should frame this is what do we both want? We both want kids who are mentally healthy later. Mm -hmm. We want to help encourage mental health. Mm -hmm. We know proven, and you have the studies to back it up, that there are certain qualities we're trying to encourage in our kids. And the way that we do that requires our modeling and our understanding of that or our ability to recognize when we don't do it. Right. You've got an anxious parent who recognizes flexibility is critical to teaching your kids, but it's hard for you. So then Mm -hmm. there's that way to say, my anxiety makes me inflexible sometimes and rigid and I need to snap out of it and I'm sorry I was rigid and I'm working on it and I'm going to be flexible about this. Yeah. It's the ongoing communication for the parent to keep working on that flexibility while instilling it in the child. 
where the family's addressing it together. And if the non-anxious parent can continue to remind the anxious parent, we have the same goals here and we both need to contribute a little differently and support each other in how Mm -hmm. we are addressing these same goals. I just think that's the right framework and tone to set with this because the accusing and well, he's this and I'm that, or she's this and I'm that mm-hmm. just, just makes you swim in it. Oh, yeah. Well, the problem, though, if you've got a really anxious parent, like Robin, you might take for granted that somebody says like, this is our goal and we want to create really mentally healthy kids. But there are plenty of families. And if there's somebody who's really anxious, then the goal is my goal as a parent is to keep my child safe all the time. We have to make sure that when we're looking at the goals, that can be a really tricky hurdle for parents to get over. I mean, you've done this a million times. Mm -hmm. So when you have a family in this situation and the parent is resistant to understanding and moving through their own anxiety, Mm -hmm. you're going to hit a dead end. Yeah. So I talk very frequently about the skill of assessing reasonable risk and imagining that you want a child to be able to grow up and become a teenager and become an adult and have the ability to problem solve, et cetera, et cetera, all the things I always talk about. It can be really, really powerful. I use a lot of analogies. You know, I use a lot of analogies and metaphors is that have them think very specifically about their son or their daughter getting their driver's license, getting their first job, going off to school, going off to camp, being in their first relationship and putting it into very concrete terms. What are the skills that you want your child to have in order to be able to manage these life events? And then I can talk about how the anxiety shows up and gets in the way of that. So that actually is is very helpful when I start thinking ahead. Sometimes when when parents have littler kids and, and you're really thinking, well, I want them to be safe on the jungle gym or I want them to be safe when I leave them alone for the first time or I want them to be safe when they're at little league practice. When we start looking at the bigger steps that kids are going to take as they move into adolescence, oftentimes that gets parents' attention. We need to look at those common goals. The thing I'm I'm very concrete and and the more specific I get, oftentimes the more helpful it is. So if somebody if I say to a if I say to two parents, well, what's the goal that you have for this child? And they say, well, we just want them to be happy. And I say, let's get really specific. Four years from now, or sometimes I say I say this a lot in school meetings. At the end of this third grade year, or the end of this tenth grade year, how will you define this as a successful year for your child? except I don't want to talk about academics. How will you define this as a successful year? And I really want to pull out for them where they imagine their child going. And if the anxious parent is holding back, pulling in, restricting, controlling, doing all the things that anxious parents do because of their fear, of course, then we can talk about it specifically. Maybe they say, I really, at the end of this 10th grade year or the end of this fifth grade year, I really want my child to feel like they have some nice friends. Okay, so let's talk about how the anxiety might get in the way of that. Mm-hmm. And then we can be specific. And then the parents are working on that same goal. Is it hard when you have a parent who thinks their goal is to keep their child safe? Mm-hmm. 
is that <laughs> is, is that a I guess you probably hear that a lot, yeah. right? So so from your perspective, you're like, this is what I deal with all the time. Do you see parents move through that and go to the other side? Yes, of course. You know, I don't bat a thousand, but I think that part of my job is to be very respectful and very empathic with that goal. Because who doesn't want to keep their child safe? And if we're talking about a an anxious parent who's looking at the way other people parent, including maybe their own co-parent, they see they see that behavior as so risky. And remember, an anxious parent goes catastrophic. So they're imagining these horrible things happening and that shuts them down. So I have to be really respectful of that. I also, when I'm dealing with a really anxious parent that is wanting to keep their child safe all the time. I poke around a little bit in their own history, and oftentimes there's something going on in there that we want to talk about. But yeah, it's being able to accept a certain amount of risk. And I also can put it into the context of what's the downside of not letting your child move forward. Because when people say, well, I want to keep my child safe all the time, I say, is, is it okay if they're depressed too? Right. That's what I was yeah. thinking too. It's like, well, we've, we've kept our kids locked in mm-hmm. our houses and we saw how that played right, out. Right. So h- how safe is that? It's uh, readdressing the definition of safe right. me- should mean something much more nuanced. Yeah. And I think sometimes I can say to parents, you know, when you're talking about safe, you're talking about nothing bad ever happening to them. And the only way that you can guarantee that, and remember anxiety is looking for 100% certainty, is if we never let them out of the house. But, but I've, you know, I've given examples. I've had parents that have said, when we're in the house, they're not allowed to eat food that they could possibly choke on. They're not allowed to go upstairs by themselves. They're not allowed to take a shower with the door closed. So it just continues to take over more and more territory. And when we start talking about, like you say, the definition of safe doesn't mean nothing bad ever happens and safe comes with a price. If your goal is to keep your child safe at all costs, you cannot allow them to emotionally grow and I see it really impeding their ability to have relationships. Right. I mean, not to sound dark, but as you were saying, that sense of if you are, you know, insistent on ensuring that your child is safe, Mm -hmm. I have great books on depression to recommend to you. Right? Because the connection is inevitable. Have you ever wished you could work with Lynn to talk about your family? Here's your chance. We're excited to announce the second Fluster Clucks Parenting Retreat at Canyon Ranch in the Berkshires. This two-night retreat will feature small group workshops with me and Lynn, a private consultation with Lynn, and all of the amenities of Canyon Ranch, a luxury wellness destination. It's not just a spa. It's so much fun. So much fun. Everything that I teach is really about emotional management, handling worry when it shows up, but it is so focused on prevention. These are skills that every family needs to know so that we can get ahead of this thing and you can have wonderful joy and connection with your kids. Join us October 22nd through 24th, and there's a link in the show notes and on flusterclocks.com. How often do you see couples come in where the anxiety is just strong? The force is strong with both of them. I would say probably 50% of the time. So that's pretty common Mm -hmm. as well, where it's both parents. Yeah. 
What's special about the dynamic when you have two anxious parents? What should the anxious parents do to help each other? They can be very supportive of each other because even though both parents are anxious, they might be anxious about different things, right? So we talked about content versus process. And it's really hard for you to recognize your anxiety about your content. It's really easy for you to recognize somebody else's anxiety. I say this all the time. When I talk to anxious kids about other anxious kids, they're like, oh, Oh my gosh, I can't believe she does that. So both of you have to recognize these anxious patterns and then you can be a support for each other. I do a lot of talk about content versus process because anxious parents will accuse the other parent. Well, you know, I'm only anxious about the dishwasher. You're the one who's anxious about this or that. They're really good at blaming each other and trying to almost point the finger at you're the more anxious parent. So I really want them to just recognize how they feed off each other how they almost compete with each other. In a family where there are two anxious parents, oftentimes the anxiety has been misinterpreted as caring and love and safety. They really need to come together. Like I say, the goal for me is to get as many people in the family out of the cult as possible. And in another place where this shows up too is when we're talking about the relationship with parents with in-laws and grandparents. So if you've got two anxious parents, we've probably got some anxious grandparents too. And if we have one anxious parent and one non-anxious parent, oh my gosh, the way that impacts the in-law relationships is pretty profound also. I mean, I've had families where a parent has been really, really anxious about a newborn. Let's forget about this, you know, all the COVID stuff that happened with that, but really, really anxious about a newborn and refuses to let the in-laws see the baby because worried about what they're going to do. Think of all the families in which the anxious parent will only let his or her parents care for the child and won't let the other set of grandparents care for the child. I am really working on improving my diet by making sure that I get the best quality products, organic foods, and I really want to make sure that I'm not using harsh chemicals in my home. Thrive Market is my go-to for all of my grocery and household essentials. The convenience of getting everything online and then quickly shipped to my doorstep, that is a huge time saver. I love that Thrive Market carries brands with the highest quality ingredients and sourcing methods. They restrict hundreds of ingredients across their food and cleaning categories. I can use their filters to suit my lifestyle needs. So maybe you're looking for organic snacks for your kids, or maybe you're gluten-free. As a Thrive Market member, I save money on every single grocery order. You will too. On average, I save over 30% each time. They even have a deals page that changes daily, always has some of my favorite brands. When you join Thrive Market, you're also helping a family in need with their one-for-one membership matching program. You join, they give. So join in on the savings with Thrive Market today and get 30% off your first order plus a free $60 gift. Go to thrivemarket.com slash flusterclucks for 30% off your first order plus a free $60 gift. That's T-H-R-I-V-E market.com slash flusterclucks. Thrivemarket.com slash flusterclucks. Do you think seeing a therapist or a psychiatrist would be helpful? 
but you don't have the time to actually find one? And then, like, when do you have time to meet with them? Try Talkspace. By doing everything online, Talkspace has made getting the help you want easy, accessible, and affordable. It's in-network with most major insurers. There's no need to commute to appointments. You won't miss time at work or have to line up childcare in order to attend sessions. It's mental health care made easy. Talkspace lets you send messages to your therapist so you don't have to wait for your next session. Therapy can help you shift your perspective and find tools to cope in difficult times. Talkspace is the number one online therapy platform with licensed therapists in over 40 specialties, including anxiety, depression, substance abuse, relationship issues, and much more. As a listener of this podcast, you'll get $80 off your first month with Talkspace when you go to Talkspace.com slash Fluster. To match with a licensed therapist today, go to Talkspace.com slash Fluster to get $80 off your first month. That's Talkspace.com slash Fluster. It didn't happen in my case, but I have a lot of friends that did Mm -hmm. become the case. Yep. And it becomes really restrictive and gosh, you can just see this this lineage of anxiety sort of move down and see how it impacts. Imagine a family where you've got a really anxious parent and that parent's parents are anxious or that those parents, the grandparents are anxious. And then you've got a family where that's not been the way that they've parented. So those grandparents are much more you know, laid back or permissive. Oh my gosh, the battles are intense. It is really hard when when people pick sides about that and boy, can they be judgy. And so it's really so important, like you were saying, if you've got this communication between the parents of really focusing on how, how are we going to teach the skills that our kids need so that they can be emotionally healthy. And then the other skill becomes how are we going to recognize our own patterns in the context of our own family of origin? It's pretty interesting stuff. You know, one of the things you learn in, you know, in, in graduate school, you learn how to do a genogram, which is just a family tree. You know, it's just a fancy name for a family tree. But when I do anxiety genograms, so we make the little family tree and we look and we look and see who was anxious about what and how did their anxiety control their behavior. It's really interesting for a family to do that together and to see how pervasive it is. That reminds me of a, another conversation we had. This was an episode on our emotional baggage. What do we bring to right. the table? And you had really great advice about the couple together can, outside of some sort of like tense moment, but like in a pleasant conversation, be your own sociologist mm. where you share about your families of origin and investigate them together, Yep. right? And so two anxious parents can look at their anxious patterns with their own parents as a starting place Mm -hmm. where it might be just a little less sensitive Mm -hmm. before you get into the tricky thing of being accountable for your own stuff. Right. And think of the difference in that conversation, because we know that one of the biggest insults that you can hurl at your partner is, oh my God, you're just like your mother, right? Ever. Oh my God, you sound just like your father. We know that you say that in order to throw out a barb. And if you can have that conversation, not in that way of, of accusations or blaming, again, own your own stuff. This is such a pattern in my family that I really need some help interrupting. And if you can support each other in defining what your family approach is going to be, all of these things are things that bring couples together. And of course, the the corollary are these things that really bust couples apart. Right. There are the goals and then there are the benefits. Mm-hmm. If an anxious 
and a non-anxious couple or two anxious people in the same relationship start working on this and really sort of push anxiety out, those moments of joy Mm -hmm. just come so much more easily. I mean, there's a goal to work towards that you just feel those benefits. And I think that can also be very encouraging. When you transition to those moments because of progress, it's really important to really support each other and say, wow, I think this happened because Mm -hmm. we are really going here. And God, it felt great. And this is why we're doing the hard work. Yeah, And one of the things that you've said, which is just so true, is that being a really anxious, worried parent is not really compatible with joy. No. Right? You're, so you're having this event. Like imagine a, a family is going to Disney World or they're going, you know, wherever. And the anxious parent doesn't really enjoy the experience because the anxiety is there. The anxiety is catastrophizing. The anxiety is controlling. This is oftentimes where the anxious parent, you know, is making sure that everything is done a certain way. And the non-anxious parent is like, can you just relax? We're on vacation. That's what you hear. So it just gets in the way of those moments of joy. It's funny because, you know, right? My other hat, I'm a travel advisor. So sometimes I'll hear families say, you know, like, oh, we we did go to Disney World and it was terrible. I never want to go again. Mm-hmm. I want to say like, I have a podcast you might find interesting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. Because of that connection. If you throw yourself in a situation where that, it, like you just said, the anxiety takes over with the control the lack, um, the anxiety takes over with that unpredictable aspect of what is happening. Mm -hmm. It's just making these family moments that should be good, not good. Right. And you might think it's the destination and overlook the accountability we need to face. It's really hard when you are the non-anxious parent and you're really trying to have some joyous experiences and you know that your anxious partner wants the same thing, you know, they don't go on vacation to say, let's see if we can just be miserable somewhere else. But it really is so hard to sit back and watch that and not know what to do and not feel like you can step in and point that out. And as I say all the time, in the moment is not when to have that conversation. Gotta lay the groundwork ahead of, you know, now that we're moving into summer and things are opening up, maybe people are going to be going on vacations again and traveling and visiting family members and being able to have this conversation ahead of time so that you're really working together on this goal of being able to make sure that anxiety is not running your family. When my, my mother passed, but before she passed as an adult, we really made beautiful progress of really strengthening our relationship as adults from stuff that was in our past, Mm -hmm. right? Like it was my goal to continue evolving our relationship as I grew up as an adult. I wanted to make that relationship healthier. Mm -hmm. And one thing I learned, if I had something tough to say to her about a pattern that I found that was hurting our connection, I would always lead the conversation with, I want to have this conversation with you because I want to feel more connected with you. And when you frame that intention, people listen very differently. So say you're the non-anxious parent and you started off that way versus like, oh my God, you are so controlling. Or are you going to ruin this trip for us again? Or can you just please lighten up? 
right? I mean, what a different, like to say, like, I'm really, I want to have this conversation. This may be hard for you to hear, but I really want us to be able to enjoy our family and I want to deepen our connection. What are you going to be like? No, we're not having that conversation. Right. When your intention is genuine and sincere about strengthening connection and you feel that because you can also still say what you just said with a little snark. Oh, sure. You got to clean your slate mm-hmm. and you've got to come at an authentic place and it can really be powerful. Mm-hmm. Yep. For the anxious parent that's hearing that, here's what I task you with, is that your defensiveness is going to rise right up. That's your fear. That's your worry. And so when somebody says to you, I really want to talk about this because I feel like we can be more connected on what we allow our kids to do, or I really want to figure out how we can move forward from this, that's the time for you to be like, all right, I need to pull my worry away a little bit. I need to make some space and I need to listen to this because it is so, so normal and so powerful for that defensiveness to come up. And that's when you get accusatory. Oh, you do that all or nothing thing. Oh, so you just want to let our kids do whatever they want. Fine, go ahead. We won't even let them wear seatbelts anymore. How about that? That's your defensiveness and your fear. That's what you have to get a little distance from so you can hear what the other person is saying. So you know that I take a family perspective. You know that I say I don't see kids alone. I really love being able to work with couples on this. I don't see couples very often anymore. I mean, I really don't take new clients anymore. So that's one of the great things about the retreat. We're really hoping that couples will come and join us for this experience. It's true. And couples can have a choice. They can either keep both hours that they would get with you, or they could consolidate into one if they wanted a reduced fee. I'm sure there are people listening to this right now who know they need this. Yeah. They know they need the support of getting out of this path. For me, it's working with the system. It's helping everybody support everybody in a family. How do we, how do we work on it together? That's when the progress happens. That's when the magic happens. In a marital snort-free zone. Yeah, right. (laughs) Tell us again about the marital snort. The marital snort is when I ask one person in the couple something. So I might say, so do you think that you have anxious responses to this? And the person says, no, I actually don't think I'm very anxious about that. And then we hear the marital snort. So the other person goes like, right, or... (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That mirror, like, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm making it a little louder because it's on the radio. Like, you can't see me doing it. So I'm bumping up the audio, but the video you can imagine. Yeah. That's the Mario yeah. snort. Like, really? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it is. I, I try and have a marital free, a marital snort free zone. I do in general, but. That would be the greatest film compilation, right? You don't need any audio. Mm-hmm. But if, if someone had had a camera, In your 30 years of private practice, just clipping together all of the marital snort facial expressions. (laughs) I thought thought you were going to say if someone had a camera in the 30 years of your marriage, that's what I thought you were going to say. Because I've been married for about the same time as we've been practicing. I was like, oh, yeah, we would have quite a marital snort competition. (laughs) I've never heard a stand-up comedian talk about the marital snort. No, it's yours. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. Okay. Fluster Clucks just got trademarked. I'm going to go work on a (laughs) trademark for the marital snort. (laughs) So join the Facebook group so that you can ask Lynn your question on an upcoming episode. Thanks for joining us on another episode of Fluster Clucks. Bye, Robin. Bye, Lynn.
Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. 